0: Good morning, everybody.
1: The greatest day of the year
0: for 2,000 years. Hopefully, not for much longer. It would be great if he came back this year. So, in the meantime, we have a book called Why Easter. There's one out there for every family. You can just pick one up on your way out and it explains the meaning of Easter. And so, it would be a good read. But, everybody needs hope. Today I want to talk to you about the three reasons why the resurrection brings hope to the world. Everybody needs hope in this life and in the next. And what the Bible teaches us is that the resurrection is the only hope that you and I have on this side of heaven. I'm going to ask that my mic be turned down just a tad, it seems a little loud to me. So, there are three groups of people here today, and one are believers. You believe in the resurrection, and you're celebrating today. The second group of people are... uh, not sure, and you're not celebrating, you're investigating. And I'm going to give you some information today to help uh, you meet the Savior. And I pray today that you will turn your life over to Him, like I did over 30 years ago as uh, as a 19-year-old. That kind of puts me somewhere in the 50s. And uh, uh, my prayer was, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not if you're who those people down at that church say you are I'm inviting you into my life I had no idea that would turn me into a pastor and an evangelist but uh, 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 I'm glad it did because it revolutionized my life I was just sharing with a friend before church that when I gave my life to Christ nobody in my high school could believe it five years after the fact my best friend was stationed up in Long Beach we're both from Ohio and he came down here with a video camera because cause, cause these weren't invented yet and he came down with a video camera video camera and videotapes me telling people, yes, I'm a Christian. No, I'm not going to have sex until I get married. And I'm a pastor. He said, because nobody believes me. They think you're pulling a prank on everybody. And uh, it was true, and it is true, and it's been true for over three decades now, and I'm so thankful to Jesus and the power of His resurrection. And then the third group of people here today are those who just don't believe, and this whole thing kind of irritates you. You're not celebrating, you're not investigating, you're being irritated. You're a drug here, you don't want to be here, and my, and my encouragement to you is for you simply to listen to some of the things I say today, and there's just one thing I want to ask you to do, and that is to enter. To, to exercise intellectual integrity, what I mean by that is, if you hear something that makes sense, it's logical. Just put it, follow it in your mind. Then, hmm, that's interesting, and it might just move you one step closer to the God who loves you. So today I want to talk about the three reasons the resurrection brings hope. I'm going to talk about the proof, the power, and the promise. The proof is about the divinity, the Christ's divinity. The power is about your destiny, and the promise is about our eternity. I'm going to say that again. The power is about Christ's divinity. I'm sorry, the proof is about Christ's divinity. Is He truly who He said He was? The Son of God. The power is about your destiny and His ability to supernaturally remove any obstacle in your life for you to fulfill God's purpose that He created you for. And thirdly is the... uh, What was it I had up there? The promise, which is eternity. Hey, don't, don't move my notes away from me. I mean... This whole thing's going to tank really fast. So here we go. So, let's look at the proof of His divinity. The proof of the resurrection is about Christ's divinity. See, the, Christ, the 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 resurrection is the crux, the cornerstone, the foundation stone of Christianity. You remove the resurrection and Christianity just falls apart. See, if, if He rose from the dead like He said He would, especially He said when He was going to do it, how it was going to happen to Him, where it was going to happen, nobody can determine that. And yet, He spoke specifically for three years about the way it was going to happen and it happened exactly the way he said it would happen. And if he truly rose from the dead, that that means everything else he said is true, including that he's the Son of God and the only way to heaven. Which is why critics for two millennia now have tried to disprove the resurrection. So I want to very quickly hit on three of the objections to the resurrection and honestly dismantle them. But first I want to talk about Paul the Apostle. Now Paul, he was a Jewish leader. He was one of the most powerful men in the first century. He was an intellect of his day. He was a philosopher, he was a theologian, and he was powerful because he was born a Roman citizen, and yet he was a Jewish leader. He was a religious leader. He lived in the power center, the religious power center of the world in Jerusalem. And he was so vexed by this new sect that sprung up in his lifetime which was called Christianity, that he got uh, a law passed where he had the legal right to find Christians everywhere, imprison them, and even have them tortured and murdered, even fed to lions. From his own personal testimony, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. Now, he had nothing to lose. He was not weak. He was not vulnerable. He was not in trouble. He didn't have to turn to Christ because his life was falling apart. He was successful. He was powerful. He was rich. The church feared him. Why would he all of a sudden turn and become the greatest leader of the church he tried to destroy? It had to be something powerful. And from his own eyewitness, which you can read in the book of Acts in the Bible, it's because he said, the resurrected Christ appeared to me and gave me an ultimatum. Either quit killing my people or you've just met your demise. And he turned his life over to Jesus. And he ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. The, all the letters he wrote when he was imprisoned for his faith as a Christian, he wrote letters back to the churches that he had planted. And those letters are now what we call the New Testament. Listen to what this man, Paul, said. From Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, God called me to be an apostle and chose me to tell the good news. Everybody say, Good news. You see, the world will try to tell you that Christianity is bad news. But the reality is, it is the best news. He goes on to say, God promised this, say it again, good news long ago through his prophets, that is written in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about God's Son. He said, what? How many times has he said good news so far? This good news is about God's Son, Jesus Christ. I love how He says, Our Lord. He used to kill people who said Jesus was their Lord. Now He says, Our Lord. As a man, He was born from the family of David, but through the Spirit of holiness, He was declared to be God's Son with great power by, say it out loud, rising from the dead. He says the resurrection of Christ is the proof that he is the Son of God. Now, there are three primary uh, objections to the resurrection. And much of the information I'm going to share with you in this first point is out of this book called The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. Um, You might want to download it. It is great. The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. Now, Lee Strobel was an educated uh, Yale, uh, Yale law school. He was a, an award-winning legal editor for the Chicago Tribune and he was an atheist. But his wife got saved. And then he began to see her change for the good over the next few months and it really piqued his interest. But he did not want to become a Christian. He was an atheist. So you know what he did? He decided as a journalist that he was going to interview uh, the most world-renowned archaeologists, Um, uh, medical leaders, philosophers and historians and asked them penetrating questions about the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, in his own words, his intent was to disprove the resurrection. He interviewed uh, people such as Dr. Robert J. Stein, one of the world's foremost forensic pathologists, asking him questions about whether Christ truly died. What is the proof that he truly died? He also interviewed Alexander Metherell, M.D., Ph.D., a medical degree from the University of Miami of Florida, a doctorate of engineering from the University of Bristol in England, board certified in diagnosis by the American Board of Radiology, consultant to the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute of the National Institutes of Health of Bethesda, Maryland, a former research scientist who has taught at the University of California, editor of five scientific books, and has written for publications ranging from aerospace medicine to scientific American. He's published in the... Uh, Physiologist and Biophysics Journal on Muscular Contraction. These are just two of the many people that he interviewed to find the truth about the resurrection of Christ. So what are these three objections? Let's hit these very quickly. One, this has been circulating for the last couple thousand years and that is that he didn't actually die on the cross that he just fainted, or he swooned. And so let's look at this medically. First of all, as he was being whipped... He experienced what's called hypovolemic shock, and that is a massive amount of blood loss. In fact, many people died during the scourging where they would take these leather whips and they had metal balls in the end that would just hammer into the back and literally start breaking flesh open and bruise. And then there was these, these bone shards at the end of the whips that would cut into the flesh and literally rip chunks of flesh out of the back all the way down to the spine and tearing apart sinews and, uh, and muscles. And muscles. And there's such a massive blood loss that you go into hypervolemic shock. And this is, one, proven simply by the Roman scourging. All endured this. But secondly, uh, he couldn't even carry his cross to the hill where they are going to crucify him because he had no strength left in him. And then, of course, on the cross... He was um, asking for something to drink because he was completely dehydrated from the blood loss. And then you have the blood and water, and this is a medical proof that he had died from a heart attack. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you have a hypovolemic shock and the loss of blood, it, it creates a sustained rapid heart rate due to the blood loss, which causes what's called pleural effusion, which is water around the lungs. And... Pericardial effusion, which is water around the heart. Now that is a medical proof that somebody has died of a heart attack. And this is found when the soldier uh, wanted to take the bodies down off the crosses. There were three that were crucified, two side by side of Jesus. And it was the Sabbath, so they didn't want to leave the bodies hanging up there on the Sabbath. So they went to the other two criminals... And they saw that they were still alive, so they broke their legs. Now, why would they do that? Because when you're crucified, your arms are, are, once once they nail, they they take these seven-inch nails and they drive them through your wrist, and it crushes your uh, nerve that goes right into your hand, the main nerve. It would be like, you know, sometimes you hit your funny bone, and it's like, oh, it'd be like taking a a wrench and and just crushing that funny bone. That's what it's like to have nails driven through your wrist. And, And then they prop you up on the cross, and you fall down, and your arms come out of socket. So then, what you have to do, and they nailed your feet, and the same uh, nerve and is going into your feet, but you had to push yourself up to breathe, and you go back down, push yourself up to breathe, and so they broke their legs, and they couldn't breathe, so they would suffocate to death. They come to Jesus, and this soldier saw that Jesus was dead, but just for good measure, he took his Roman spear, which is a long spear with a huge shaft on the end of it, and shoved it into his side, and obviously punctured his lung and his heart, and so water and blood poured out, showing he had died of a heart attack and then the third proof that he died on the cross was the professional eyewitness which was the guard who did this daily for a living he knew when somebody was dead or not dead in fact if any criminals in his care escaped he would be tortured and put to death himself so he was darn sure that Jesus had died on the cross But let's say he didn't. Let's say somehow he he endured the hypovolemic shock, the heart attack, the piercing through his heart and his lungs. And he was put into the tomb and yet he was still alive. The second objection to the resurrection is that he escaped from the tomb. Now, nobody is asking the question whether his body is in the tomb or not. Everybody knows it's not there. You can go there today and see the actual tomb that he was buried in. Archaeology has proven where his tomb was. And there's no body there. The question has been for 2,000 years, where is the body? And so I want you to take a look at this tomb, and what a tomb looked like. Now, that's a 2,000 pound stone, and it rolls down a groove, and slams up against the side of that uh, uh, doorway there, and it locks into a groove on the side of the doorway. There's a groove that it rolls down, and then you put a stone on the other side, a little stone, on the other side of the large stone, so it cannot be rolled back up the hill. And from the inside, of course, to try to do that, you're talking about pushing a a stone up this track, with other stone that's blocking it, uh, just by the smooth surface on the inside, there's nothing to grab a hold of. But some uh, uh, contend that he did not die and he escaped from the tomb. So there's a few problems with this. Uh, First of all, his shoulders were out of socket. And his hands were useless because of the seven-inch nails that were driven through his wrists. And he was suffering from hypovolemic shock, so his energy was completely gone. Major blood loss. But let's say that he was able to. I mean, it would it would be like if one of you allowed me to yank your arms out of socket here this morning. Just come on up here. Just yank your arms out of your sockets, right? And then we're going to crush your nerve, main nerve artery going into your hands. We'll do your feet too. And then we're going to take you out here into the parking lot and we're going to have you push a car over, which is about 2,000 pounds, which is the weight of that rock. But let's say he was able to do that. Then you run into at least four military trained uh, men of war the guards who are surrounding the tomb he would have to overcome them but let's say he did that then he had have to walk long distances to find his disciples in this condition mind you where the Bible says and historians non-Christian historians like Josephus and others uh, record this that he was so brutalized in the way that he was tortured that you could not even recognize who he was And after he endured the cross, and after he pushed the stone out of the way, and after he overcame the guards, he walked miles to find his disciples to inspire them (laughs) as the resurrected Christ. I don't think they would have been very inspired. I think they would have been trying to nurse him back to health. And so that brings up the third objection, and that would be, well, we believe that the disciples stole the body. Well, there's a few problems with this. Number one, again, the guards. So you have a handful of disciples who are just fishermen, tax collectors, and they come up to the tomb where Jesus is, and they want to steal the body. And they run into these Roman guards. I don't think that's going to be much of a match. But let's say they did overcome the guards, they moved the stone out of the way, they stole the body of Jesus and took him somewhere that nobody's found in the last 2,000 years. That would mean that these apostles, lived and died for a lie. That they have spent, they spent their lives using lies and deceptions to dupe the entire world into a religion of truth and honesty. It also means that they would have allowed themselves to be tortured and murdered for what they knew to be a lie. And every psychologist worth their salt will tell you that nobody will die for what they know to be a lie. And yet every one of the followers of Christ, the first uh, century followers of Christ, allowed themselves to be mercifully tortured, unmercifully tortured, and murdered. Because... They believed in the risen Christ. And this brings up the last point and that is the 500 plus eyewitnesses. Now you know in a court of law, if there's an eyewitness, I mean you can make your case, and it's just circumstantial evidence, and you can just lie and lie and lie. But then there was an eyewitness. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, well, well. Then there's two eyewitnesses. You're you're done. You're done for, right, Mark? You're a lawyer, right? A couple of eyewitnesses saw you there. They got a video. They got pictures. Right? You're done for. Over 500 eyewitnesses in the first century. One was Paul the Apostle, who I told you about, who was persecuting the church, but. Now he's the leader of the church. The other were James and Peter, the apostles and all the other apostles. And then 500 people at the same time testify that they saw the risen Christ. Now, some people would say, well, they were hallucinating. Uh, Psychology will tell you that no two people can hallucinate the exact same thing. Because it's in your mind. And they certainly can't hallucinate the same thing at the exact same time. Let alone 500 people at one time saying that we saw Jesus alive. And do you know what? There are testimonies all over the world today, especially in the Middle East, among Hindus and Muslims and places where Christians are not allowed to go, Jesus is appearing to them in dreams we've met some of them personally and they say who is he? when we're able to speak with him. One time, Ken Blue uh, found out about Jesus appearing to Muslims all over the Middle East. And so, um, they put a, an ad in the newspaper and said, if you have had dreams of a man appearing to you saying that he's the Son of God, come to this convention. And so, they had a place, I believe it was in Egypt, it was in Turkey, and I, how many people showed up to that? Was like, well, there
1: was, there was several thousand people, and as the week went on, he had lunch with different groups of people
0: every day, and he had Okay, come be- here. Grab this microphone and tell this real quick. Yeah, I know it's an amazing story. Don't take too much of my time, but come tell the story. This is Mark. He's a, one of our pastors here on staff. He's an amazing teacher.
1: mentor... There you go. My mentor was invited to come to Turkey and preach on grace, which was Paul's message. And it was a week-long conference, and they'd assembled most of the Christians in Turkey for this conference in this large city. And as the conference went on, he had three meals a day with different groups of people at the table. And as Christians do, we always say, well, how did you become a Christian? We we, we just That's one of the second questions that you ask. So he'd say, how did you become a Christian? And they would say, well, I uh, was Islamic and um, I had this dream in the night and this guy in white showed up in the dream and said he was Jesus. And I started to look into it because it was amazing and I became a Christian. Well, everybody he talked to at every table talked about the same dream. And then he asked the leader of the church in Turkey, what, what, did, you what, what did you do? How did you react to this? He said, well, we, we, took, out a, we took out a newspaper ad in the biggest paper in, in the city and across Turkey. And we had a big full page and it said, if you have had a dream like this of this guy, white, who appears to you and says to Jesus, and you want more information, you phone this number and we'll tell you what's happening. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's if, in if you want more information, yeah, one call this number. Phone us and we'll explain your dream to you. It's been a supernatural uh, that is awesome. event across the country. It's pretty amazing. Awesome. Praise the
0: Lord. Thank you, Mark. So if this is true and Jesus did rise from the dead and we see Luke, a physician writing in the books of Acts how Jesus walked through a door John wrote how Jesus walked through the door they were all hiding in the upper room afraid because they, they thought they were going to be taken next and the resurrected of Christ just walked through the door he didn't have to open the door because now he's resurrected and he's not limited to this physical realm Why would He move the stone if He could have just come right through the stone? So that you and I could look inside. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm giving you information so that you can look inside and see who Jesus really is. So that you can come to Him as the Savior of your life. If you will do that, you will experience the second part of the resurrection. And that is the power of the resurrection, which is about your destiny. This is how the resurrection gives hope. First of all, it proves that Jesus is truly the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Secondly, it releases power into your life. I have some amazing stories. I just got back from Mexico. i are roughly about 100 churches down there that, that I serve. And they come, they bust in all from, all from all over Mexico. We spent a whole weekend together. And the Spirit of God came upon that place so strong. i got a great story I'll tell you uh, next Sunday. <laughs> and so, but here, here, here's the crux. And I've been walking with the Lord now. Uh, 82, 92, 102, 112, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. What's that? Six thirty. Six years, I have story after 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 story of Christ's power in my life, and so do many of you. He's not just some distant God. Even if He did raise from the dead, He's not just sitting off in heaven and He's just letting the world spin by itself and good luck guys. No. He sent His Holy Spirit and He sends them into every believer and all around believers. And He sends angels as our servants, the Bible says. And God is walking with us every day in this very life. He cares about you. He's with you when you play volleyball. He's with you when you're at the bank. He's with you when you're at work. He's with you when you're sleeping. He's with you when you're Awake. He loves you and He's with you every breath of your life until you get to see Him face to face. Spend eternity with Him forever. Look what the writer of Hebrews says. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as human beings could he, only as a human, could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Who had, I love that past tense. Hmm. Who had the power of death. Only in this way could he... Set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Number one fear in the human race is public speaking. Thank you very much. The second fear is well, actually the fear of failure and the fear of dying. He removes that from the believer. I personally am not afraid to die. I don't want to die yet because I have a wife and I have kids. I don't want to be there for them, for my grandkids. I want to be a blessing to them. I do want to pick how I die and when I die in my sleep, Lord, please. When I fulfill my race and everybody's good and everything's just perfect. But I'm not personally afraid to die because I truly believe that when I die, I'm with Him. Let's continue to read the Scripture. We also know the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, which we are if you give your life to Christ. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, His brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, which was himself. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able. Everybody say He is able. He is able to help us when we are being tested, tempted, tried, suffering. There are three ways His power shows up in your life first one is in you. Look what this scripture says, Romans chapter 8. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Now, Lee Strobel, who I read uh, some of the research he did in interviewing these world-renowned scientists and researchers, He eventually gave his life to Christ. And it wasn't by a spiritual encounter, it was by logic. He couldn't refute it. Once he honestly investigated the resurrection, he honestly could not refute it. He exercised intellectual honesty and integrity and said, it has to be true. And this is what he wrote. Some people feel a rush of emotion at such a moment when they give their life to Christ. For me, there was something equally exhilarating. The rush of reason. Looking back, I can see that this was nothing less than the pivotal event of my entire life. Over, my ti- over time, my character, values, attitude, priorities, worldview, philosophy, and relationships began to change for the good. So much so, that a few months after I gave my life to Jesus, our five-year-old daughter, Allison, who had previously only known a father who had been profane, angry, verbally harsh, drunken, and all too often. And absent, walked up to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what He has done for Daddy. So the first thing you'll experience when you come to Christ is His power in you. The second thing you'll experience is His power around you. Look at this profound promise in Ephesians 3.20. Now to Him who is able to carry out His purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to His power that is at work within us. Listen to this testimony I just got a couple weeks ago. Not a couple thousand years ago, not a couple hundred years ago. Just a couple weeks ago, um, Ron Farnsworth, who's here in the service today, who oversees our prison ministry. Ron sent me this testimony. Hi, Pastor John. Do you remember Sean, the Muslim inmate I met at Donovan Prison? Doctors gave him chemo for a time, and then they said, quote, We have done all we can. His cellmate was a Christian from Egypt. Uh-oh. He wrote his mother in Egypt. Look, if you have a praying mama, just give up. You're just going to be miserable until you give your life to Christ. It's just going to be a nightmare for you, so just go ahead and get it over with. (laughs) He calls his mama in Egypt. She and the Christians there prayed over some oil, which is a type of the Holy Spirit, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And she came to San Diego, visited Sean the Muslim in prison, and prayed for him the doctors then checked his body and there was no cancer Sean said when she prayed for me I sensed God's love for the first time well Sean is now out of prison (laughs) ready for this The power of Christ is just amazing. He has a bodybuilding business. And he's a pastor. Hallelujah. Come on. Put that on your business card. (laughs) Woo! And the third way you'll experience... The power of Christ in your life is not only in you, not only around you, but through you. Look what Jesus says to His first disciples and to us. In Mark chapter 16, 14-20, He says, Later He appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Don't let that be you today. Because they did not believe those those who had seen Him after He had risen. And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature.'" He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down to the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. He worked with them to the end of the age, one writer says. And that brings us to the last part of the three reasons the resurrection gives us hope. One is the proof of His divinity the resurrection proves His divinity the second is the power for your destiny that Christ can remove any obstacle in your life it could be bitterness it could be sorrow it could be sickness it could be poverty it could be relational brokenness low self esteem depression whatever the obstacle is fear unbelief he's removed so many of these things from my own life and I get freer and freer and freer every year of my life because he's continually working but thirdly is the promise of the resurrection is about eternity eternity Look what Luke, the physician, writes in Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and the cloud received Jesus out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said to the men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. The truth is, Jesus is coming back. He may come back today. He may come back in our lifetime. He may come back a hundred years from now. I don't know. I don't care when he's coming back, although I'd like it to be today, except there are millions of people who have not yet come to Christ, so I do not want him to come back today. But the fact that he's coming back is our hope. He will create a new heavens and a new earth. One person said to me one time, for those of you who don't know these big words, it's called pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. The truth is there's going to be seven years of hell on earth. It's called the Great Tribulation. Some read the the, the book of Revelations, and they believe that there's going to be... So the church is going to be taken out of the earth and then the seven years of tribulation some read the Bible the book of Daniel the book of Revelations and their interpretation is we'll be over three and a half years of the tribulation then we'll be taken out in the middle of the tribulation which is you know, mid-trib and then there'll be three and a half years more tribulation others believe we're going to go through all seven years of tribulation then Christ will come back for the church I would prefer to be taken out before the tribulation how about you guys anybody else like to go with me before the tribulation but I had one guy come up to me I was on the drums getting ready for a band rehearsal at another church and the guitar player comes in you can't really trust guitar players and he says to me and he says to me you know waiting for the rest of the band to come he goes hey do you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib or post-trib I'm like I just kind of ignored him and just kept playing you know he said, hey, do you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? And I, I said, nah. I just kept playing, and he said, I can tell you're a pre-tribber. I'm like, well, the way I'm dressed, the way I'm playing the drums, the look on my face, what does that even mean? I said, look, I don't really, I don't really, it didn't matter to me. I, I'm just, I just know he's coming back, and, and, and I just want to be ready. And I turned, I said, are you ready if he comes back today? See, that's what matters. It isn't when he's coming back, is that he is coming back, and are you ready? If he came back today, are you ready? Have you received him for the forgiveness of your sins? Because he's the only way. I was talking to my Catholic neighbor last week. And I had a conversation with her and knowing she was Catholic, I was raised Catholic. I'm thankful for my Catholic upbringing because they gave me a faith that there is a God. And they gave me a reverence for this holy God. What they did not teach me was that salvation is a free gift. And that made me a little mad for a while. When I went to church and found out that I don't have to do all these things there' are sin we have to do and jump through all these hoops and belong to the Catholic Church to be saved. I found out that it's Jesus plus nothing. You and I cannot add anything to the cross and resurrection of Christ to have our sins forgiven. You don't do bad and then do some good and all of a sudden it's a wash. No, our sins are stains, eternal stains that are never removed except by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood on that cross is the only thing that removes our sins. And yet it is your confession of your belief that He died for you. That He rose from the dead and broke the power of death. And you receive Him as your Savior right here today. You just ask Him into your heart. God is listening. God is watching. God is calling you. You confess Christ as your Savior. Immediately your sins are completely erased and washed and forgiven and forgotten by God. He breathes His Spirit into you right here in this room. Or right there where you're watching or listening online. God is listening. God is waiting for you. The end will come where there is no more opportunity. And then you will face God face to face. And the Bible says there's a book written and it has all of our sins recorded. So when we stand before God and we try to make excuses and we try to bring up our good works, He has a book because He is a righteous judge. We all like justice only when it happens to somebody else. But God is a just God. He cannot be unjust or He ceases to be God. He's a holy and true and just God. And He has a record of all of our sins. But if you give your life to Jesus, His Son, who He sacrificed on the cross for you, your sins are erased from that book and your name is written in another book called the Book of Life. And when you meet God face to face, He will know that you gave your life to His Son. And the book that has our sins written in it is not even open for you. It's just the book of life. And He sees your name He says, Welcome. I shared this with my Catholic neighbor and she had never heard salvation and free in the same sentence in her entire life. She couldn't believe it. Her mouth just dropped open she just looked at me like, you know, bug-eyed like this. So I showed her a couple scriptures about how salvation is a free gift. And she looked at it and said, will you pray with me right here in your driveway to receive Jesus as your Savior? Stop this foolishness. She said, yes. Prayed with her right there. I said, what do you feel? She looked at me. She said, I feel like I will never be alone again. And I said, do you know what, Sherry? I remember when I was 19 years old and I gave my life to Jesus. It was about a month later. I was standing in my kitchen doing the dishes, and I had this overwhelming reality. I will never be alone again. Jesus is with me. For real. Forever. My girlfriend didn't like it. So she left. <laughs> she gave me an ultimatum one day it's either him or me. It crushed me. But I'm thankful. That was a long time ago. And a far, far away. <laughs> But what I said to her was, as we were both weeping, what has happened in me, what is in me, the peace and contentment I have, the emptiness that has gone away, you can't give that to me. I can't trade this in. And she wouldn't come to him. And so, I chose Jesus. And look at Jesus' promise to me and to all of those who give their life to him. And I'll close with this. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This is Jesus talking. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Don't live for this life. Enjoy this life. But don't let your tentacles just be sucked into the earth and make your life about fame and fortune and accumulation and acquisitions and accomplishments. It's all poof. Eternity is what we are created for. And you want to live eternity with Christ, not eternity without Christ. Will you close your eyes this morning with me? You're in here this morning and you've been living with a temporal mindset even as a believer and you've forgotten this is all about Jesus and all about fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Will you just rededicate your life to Jesus this morning right here on this Resurrection Sunday say, Jesus, I've been a fool. I used you for salvation but now I'm just living life like everybody else and honestly, it's not satisfying. I am rededicating my spiritual journey with you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday and ask Him, say, I'm asking you for a brand new intimacy and I'm asking you for fresh empowerment of your Holy Spirit on my life. Renew me like I was when I first gave my life to you. There are those of you here today that need a miracle, and we're going to call the prayer teams down in just a few minutes. They're going to come down front here, and they will pray for you, and they will they will believe God with you. And many of you are going to experience supernatural power of God coming upon you today as you come down. You may receive a healing miracle. You may receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You may experience a peace you've been crying out for and not knowing how to get. You may have a drug addiction or any other addiction broken right down front here as these prayer teams pray for you. But there are others of you here today, and you've never given your life to Jesus. And you're going to die in your sins. There's nothing you can do. To get rid of the guilt and the shame and the penalty of sin. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. Which is what Jesus did in your place for you on the cross. An innocent man taking the place of a guilty man or woman. But He needs you to accept it this morning. He needs you to receive the invitation of free salvation and the complete forgiveness of your sins by nothing you will do but by what He did. It's not what you do for God. It's what He's already done for you. If that's you this morning and you have felt the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, Through this entire message, and you know these things to be true because God is drawing you. Will you raise your hand right where you are in your seat and say, "I'm ready to receive Jesus as my personal Savior right now"? That's you. Will you raise your hand up really high so I can see it? I'm going to pray for you, and God's going to completely forgive you of your sins, and He's going to breathe His Spirit upon you today, and you're going to experience a peace you've never known. And when you draw your last breath, you will see Him face to face and He will usher you into His kingdom. Anybody in the house today, raise your hand and say, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior today. you to do is this I don't see any hands raised in here today on your visitor card there's a place to check gave my life to Christ today or rededicated my life to Christ today or investigating Christianity you'd like to know more and you're welcome to email me john at gatheringplacechurch.org ask any questions you may have and I'll be happy to answer them for you Today is the day that Jesus broke death, hell, in the grave. It is the day to rejoice and to celebrate until we see Him face to face. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand and let's let Josh and the team lead us in one more song. And as they do, prayer teams, please come down front. And if you need prayer for healing, salvation, deliverance, make your way out of your seats, come down front, let these prayer teams agree with you in prayer, and watch Jesus rock your world. God bless you. Have an amazing Resurrection Sunday. Oh, hang on. Bring the sound down real quick. I'm sorry. I've got to tell you this real quick. For all of you visiting today, there's a book here called The God Questions. It's a gift edition. It's a mini uh, edition of the series we're going to go through. I have copies for every visitor. So I'm going to come right down front here, and I would love to meet you. If you come down front, I'll give you
1: one of these for free, and it'll set you up for next week's teaching series, all right? Okay.